the galaxy burns. The heretic falls. And the emperor protects. And welcome, Imperial citizens, to The Emperor Protects. My name is Doug with 2 Plus Tough, and my co-host with the most is Dan from Cubic Shenanigans. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, buddy. Doing great. Awesome to hear. So we have been on a little bit of a unexpected hiatus. The holidays happened, and then just a lot of life, real life, IRL stuff for both of us. And Yes. But here we are, and if you are still with us, then you know the book that we're talking about today is Betrayer. Now, I'm going to jump right into it because uh, I have a lot of preface. I both love and struggled with this book, like a lot. Um, from a from a top down, it is the origin story, I guess you could say, to some extent, of the World Eaters, which is uh, Angoron's Legion, the ones that eventually fall to Korn. And um, what is what is your overall take on this book before we get into... Yeah. Yeah, no. Who's it for? <laughs> and and I, why would they like it? I mean, I think that there's – I think it's for people who are obviously World Leaders fans because we have this moment for Angron at some point in the book. And I also think, though, that it's really a good tale about what the heresy is in all the parts and pieces because Lorgar, he is, he is so annoying. Yeah. Because he is arrogant and he just drones on and on in the book sometimes. But, you know, there's things that, you know, I I mentioned before the show that I'm reading in the Siege books, especially the last three. There's stuff that he says here that is absolutely prophetic. Yeah. And, And so I think there's a lot of parts and pieces to this that helps people understand what the heresy is about and why. You know these primarchs have done and made the choices that they've done. So I, I think that's an important part of this book, and and I think a lot of times I think that it sits to the side. I think people mm-hmm. think, oh, you don't need to read this book. I, I think I would disagree with that. I, I think it's important in terms of the ongoing story of the heresy because of the things that happen. I think it. We talked about, um, as we've been going through the various books and series that kind of introduced the various legions one by one, this is clearly the World Eaters book, like <laughs> them. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would say, though, is that it it definitely conveys the internal struggles of the legion the same way that the other books do. Like We had talked about the ones for Thousand Sons, how they think of things in terms of the different you know, orders of magic and how they... I don't know, basically break down the universe, the ultramarines with their theoretical and practical. Mm-hmm. And we get a sense into like, there is an on and off switch for this entire Legion. And on just means you're murdering things. And <laughs> off means you have a terrible migraine. And that's it. <laughs> and, but we, you know, through all yeah. these crazy events that we're going to talk about, we do, I think, get a very good picture into what the I- internal mind of the Legion is. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, if that's the point of the book and introducing it and having it be their soul tome is a slam dunk. Yes. So, yes. um, with that out of the way, let's jump into, you wrote out some incredible notes. We're going to kind of go beat by beat. And with all of these, there are like subplots and minor characters that we're not going to cover because we read yeah. the book. So you don't have to. And if you want to know those characters, go read it yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, 
So take us on a journey. <laughs> well, sure. I think the first thing to say is this is, in my opinion, I think it's a sequel to the first Heretic, mm. which was, you know, the fall of the word bearers. I think it is a sequel to No, No Fear, which was the Calth assault by the yep. word bearers. And a book that is, I think, doesn't have to be read, but it was called The Furious Abyss, which was about basically this this godship that chaos had built um, the war bearers in particular. And they sent a strike team. I think it was Malkador, if I remember sent a strike team to destroy this ship because it was just, it, it made Dorn's ship look like a cruiser. Like it, it, it's so big. Yep. Uh, so they went to destroy this thing. So that's, those are little pieces I think that are important. So the story takes place during the shadow crusade, which is, Essentially, the word bearers and, in this case, the the world eaters, there is this massive campaign and assault on the Ultramarines realm of the 500 worlds. Yes. And, you know, one of the important things in here is to understand why the word bearers in particular want to do this one planet at a time. You know, Kalth was first, but there have been others. Well, yeah. and Kalth wasn't first. Like oh, that it was wasn't the, first, right? no, no. There was a whole shadow war. Like this is yeah. the the path that is during and past the Kalth campaigns. So, like one arm went to Kalth, and then yeah. the rest of it kept kind of kept going this way. <laughs> yeah, and destroying one world at a time, whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um, and the book really, as you said earlier, you know, before is that wor- the world eaters are what this book is about, and they've been driven insane essentially by a combination of Angron's bloodlust, which, uh, and also the butcher's nails, which are mentioned a bazillion times in this book. And the nails, we'll just say the nails are basically these kind of cybernetic implants that have been put into almost all of the word, uh, eaters skulls now. And Angron has them in his skull. And basically they, anything that would provide pleasure in your life, Anything but killing and death provides no pleasure. Killing and yes. death is the only thing that brings relief and uh, gives you some satisfaction in life. Yes, it is um, a uh, it is a neuro implant that oh. seats itself in the scar tissue of your brain and rewires it so you only feel joy through combat. Yes, which uh, as part of Angron's origin, um, they did that to him like as a gladiatorial fighter so that he would just constantly be in the perfect state of fight. Mm-hmm. But uh, then he kind of made that a whole cultural thing. <laughs> yep. He did when he brought it to the, to the world world eaters um, and the Legion actually right now from a practical perspective is actually led by Karn yes. and Karn is a captain, I believe of the eighth company uh, a very fearsome warrior, you know, that whole bit. Um, and the story also, though, features the word bearers. So uh, in, in their involvement in this, very, very important because it leads to very specific things. So the book begins on an ultramar planet called Armatura, which is a fortress planet, essentially. And it focuses on the fight between the world eaters slash word bearers and the ultramarines on this planet. Mm-hmm. And they've assaulted it. Um, and as you said earlier, it's, it's part of the inner struggles that the world eaters themselves are going through here as things start to take place. There's 
loyalty, there's brotherhood, there's betrayal, there's all those things going on in this book, which adds to the level of interest. One of the things, two things. First, I think you really get this interesting contrast between the world eaters and the word bearers. Agreed. Yep. Which is a really neat illustration because they're both traitor legions, but they handle this whole thing very, very differently. Um, also of interest, I think, is where both the legions are at this point in the heresy, because the world eaters don't even know about corn yet. They don't, they don't, they know. Oh about yeah. You chaos. mean on like their chaos journey or whatever? Yeah. 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 I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're still just trader Marines fighting the Imperium. They chaos and all that stuff means really nothing to them. It just doesn't. Yep. And in fact, you know, when, uh, our two of our main characters, Argel Tal, who we know from first heretic and Karn, they're very close uh, because of fighting together throughout the heresy so far. Um, but they just go back and forth and the conversations are really interesting. You know, like <laughs> Argel Tal says something like, you know, you guys are just crazy. Like, especially you, Karn, you, you know, pounded these nails into your head. That's just insanity. And then Karn or Argel Tal will go back and say, oh, like, or uh, Karn will go like the demon you have possessing your body. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, but it's like two brothers, you know, kind of fighting it. It's, it's all in good spirit. And, but it's an interesting uh, dynamic to have between those very two uh, legions. Yes. And so we see that um, very, um, very strongly in this book. Well, so, and also they like their their missions for mankind. Like the word bearers see themselves as proclaimers of a truth, even when they were good guys, quote unquote. Uh, like, but the the world eaters only see themselves as murder machines. Like that's that's what a space marine is. There's we don't build churches, we don't do anything, we just kill. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And they just kill physically. They kill. You know, that's that's their main thing is they want to get in close and just tear stuff up mm -hmm. as opposed to the word bears. And there's several points in the book where the world eaters are just like running towards an objective or towards the enemy and stuff. And they just see this group of word bears, like this circle of word bears, just chanting and looking over at them like, Oh God, it's world. It's word bears again. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Anyway, so we start the book with this extended conversation between Lorgar and Magnus. Magnus, who, if you remember from, you know, First Heretic, they had this, like, spirit conversation where Magnus wasn't really there uh, when they were on, you know, they were kind of in uh, Lorgar's sanctum or whatever it is on the mm -hmm. one planet. And the conversation provides a little bit of time context because it implies that you said that the battles of Kalth and Prosper have already taken place. Those yes. are done. Those are finished. And after the pleasantries, they start to kind of poke at each other, you know, placing blame for the fate of the thousand sons on each one, you know? Yep. And so <laughs> it was just funny because eventually the conversation moves to the battle in space, you know, over the planet. And the word bearers are just being torn apart by the ultramarine defense fleet. So, you know, Magnus goes, you know, brother, you might have actually overextended yourself here. Mm -hmm. Just saying, you know, what I, from what I'm seeing, you guys just aren't ready for this. And then here's the big reveal. Lorgard kind of laughs his stupid laugh. 
And he's like, hey, I got this covered, bro, because I didn't just build the Furious Abyss. I built two more Furious Abysses. Like, I've got three of these bad boys, mm-hmm. and two of them are here. <laughs> You're going, oh, like, that was great. You did not expect that at all. I like how the opening dialogue of this book is like everything that happened in this other book, chump change. And you're like, ah, son of a gun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that, that was a pretty cool reveal though. And with these two God ships, as someone calls them, it's, it's pretty hopeless for the ultramarines. I mean, seriously, oh, yeah. yep. one of these ships can just destroy their whole fleet. Because they're big enough for capital ships to resupply at, so they act as mobile fortification yeah. planets type. That's what the phalanx essentially does for the yeah. uh, Imperial Fist. Yep. Yeah, so it's crazy. Um, and then we switch over after that conversation to the Conqueror, which is Angron's flagship. And we're reintroduced at this point in the story to Karn and Argyle Tal or Rom, you know, it's, there's always this voice inside of Argotal and he's, the funny thing is now he's always possessed. He's always, he's always a, um, I can't remember the term when he is, you know, he's in his demon form. He's kind of always in his demon form. Oh, like the Galvorback type. Galvorback. He's always Galvorback. He never goes back anymore. Yeah. He used to be able to like have beast mode and then turn back. And I was like, oh, that's a cool power. And then he lost that immediately. It's done. (laughs) And so they're on like a flight deck and Angron comes in and he sees both the word bearers and the world eaters on the deck. And <laughs> Angron is just such a jerk, man. <laughs> he calls Argel Tall over and just starts baiting and bullying him. And Angron calls him, you know, the creature, you're the creature. And he, he's, He's uh, like really insulting him by saying, you know, not only could you not defend the ship that was named after your your dead priestess, you couldn't protect her. You couldn't protect the ship. Oh, and I heard that somebody stole her bones. And it, it just like <laughs> provoking Argyle Tal, right? So you're thinking Argyle Tal. You know, you think about the Gal Vorbach that he was. He's just going to – No. Angron like literally swats him away when he tries to attack him. Yeah, but he likes it though. He's like, hey, you got some spirit. He doesn't try to kill him. <laughs> right. So interesting, I think. Um, but after that, and when you you listen to Angron talking, and this is the part of the book I think you've mentioned that the voice acting gets a little grating early on in the book. It, you know, the way that I described it to my wife, because she could see <laughs> – we were at a coffee shop and I'm listening to this audiobook as I'm like t- texting away and then writing out notes, that kind of stuff. And she could see me like grimacing. And after like 20 minutes, she's like, what the hell are you listening to? <laughs> and I played it. And my description to her was, it's like every Saturday morning cartoon, like super over the top grating, like garvely voice for a villain. But it's yes. a 16 hour book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, so uh, I struggled a bit. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about this scene to me, Doug, is that it really sets Angron up as this broken vessel. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. He is just not right in any way that you want to look at a character. He is just broken every, every which way he can be broken. Yep. Um, and, and so that's over. And so we get down on the surface. Karn, the world eaters have started their assault. Angron somewhere. <laughs> he's 
he's just like wading into the enemy. Nobody knows where he really is. We just know he's fighting after there. Uh, uh, can I interject and, here? One thing that this yeah. this does give us though is a fantastic idea of how the world eaters go to war, because yeah. all of the ships that carry them basically get into position and then just open the doors because they understand that the second those doors open, nobody has any more control. There's no chain of command. There's just Angron, who's the fastest of them. Like, he just runs straight forward, and everybody's trying to keep up. And then somewhere in the back is Karn <laughs> yelling at the walkie-talkie. <laughs> it's like they want to get him off their ships. Like, I know. <laughs> but, uh, go ahead. We meet an interesting character. Very, I really love her. She's great. Her, her name is Latara Saren. She's the shipmistress of the Conqueror, which yes. is the, the flagship. And she's very, very young for a flagship commander, but she's exceptional at void combat. So she has really earned her place. Uh, and she is the one person who can actually talk to Angron and kind of like have a response to him that isn't like, Okay, yes, I got it. You know, walk away yep. like, okay, whatever you say. She she just takes no crap from him at all. Um, no, but she can also like reason with him as far as like, you yeah. need to be here or this is coming. Yeah. Buckle up. Like she's she really. Listen, but she can, she can do that without getting like pummeled and killed. Yes. Like he'll kill anybody else. And she makes some comment. I just wanted to go through a th- few things because this is where the voice, I started laughing, you know, while you were kind of grimacing, this is the part of the book where I started laughing because of the voice acting. Cause Angron just was petulant almost yes. was responding to her. And she said something about, you know, my Lord, we need to move. We need to get this done. And she go, he goes, I'm sorry if we're not pacifying the world as quickly as you would like. And she goes, don't be childish. And he's like, oh, you're always really brave when I'm several hundred thousand kilometers away. Yep. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Or the Evercarte or Evercate are the soldiers, the ultramarine soldiers defending the planet. And she's just curious. She says, how many are there on the surface? He goes, a lot. All of them. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why are you bothering me? We're not, hang- we're not hanging out. <laughs> and she questions like targeting. And he's like, Shoot whatever you want. Just stop whining to me about it. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh god. <laughs> yep. I feel like this book did a great job with that, and also uh, there was a, a kind of a side story that we're not going to go terribly much into. We're going to touch on it, but like the the Titans and the Titans are all yeah. like, okay, all of these freaking world eaters are running between our feet. We need to figure out what's slowing them down because they won't communicate it to us. <laughs> so they're just yeah. like, just kind of like sweeping and raking the battlefield, hoping they blow, blow stuff up out of their way. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is, is just lost yep. to the nails. And that's one of the phrases they use. Um, one of the things that she had contacted Karn to, or uh, Angron to warn him about was that the ultramarines looks like they basically wired the entire city to detonate yes uh, into you know these timed explosions and um she has this conversation with him and then she talks uh she kind of says to herself you know Karn was right the primarch's getting worse she can just tell that he is not it, it, he's deteriorating i guess is the way you look at it um and then we go back to the surface. Con, Karn has this confrontation with a group of word bears. And so fortunately, it ends 
before bloodshed. So more world eaters arrive and basically say, okay, Karn, come on, man, let's go, let's go. And he kind of, they kind of pull him away towards the enemy, which you could just see he wanted, and he was basically questioning like, why are you guys doing this? You're, they were literally like strapping ultramarines prisoners to uh, sacrifice them. Yes. Strapping them to vehicles and, you know, praying around their bodies and do, oh man. And he was just like, just fight. And you're not like in a good way if a world eater is like, guys, this is a terrible use of our tactical advantage. <laughs> you're just like, guys, mission focus. If the guy whose big thought is just run forward and hit it with an axe is like, <laughs> we really need to bring this plan together. <laughs> this is yeah. a make it work yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the world eaters, you know, as they're going forward after this, they hear this massive collapse of buildings. And literally, Karn knows that like hundreds of world eaters have just been buried under this rubble. Mm-hmm. Right. And now, um, and one of the one of his his fellow officers, whatever, comes up to him and he's like, How's the battle going? And the guy goes, We're losing. He just like, we're losing. Yeah. <laughs> no question. I'm not gonna to make it nicer for you we're, we're we're not doing well and then everybody all of a sudden is concerned like where's angron we haven't heard from him right um and uh that scene suddenly we're taken back to lorgar who's in prayer you know aboard the blessed lady i think it was that ship yep. and he he's kind of magnus is there and he's praying while magnus is there and all of a sudden he breaks his reverie and he says, hey, I'm needed on the surface. He's detected something's going on um, mm-hmm. on the surface of the planet. And then we're taken to Angron. And it just says he's in darkness. He can barely breathe. His hands are torn and bleeding. He's digging. Okay. <laughs> so now he's in a hole. <laughs> don't know how he got in a hole, but he, the man's yeah. in a hole. Yeah. We don't know where he is or what what's going on. And then you hear this voice thing said, saying, we must seek communion. And you're like, who is that? Who's yeah, this saying- was a very jarring first chapter, by the way, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Like, communion, what What are you talking about? Is that Lorgar? Is it the word bearers? You know, they're the ones who do that kind of stuff. So after several attempts to talk to Angron, because he's just like, hey, go away. Like the buzzing of flies kind of thing. And you know, just stop. And they finally, whoever these communion are, will find out. They settle Angron enough to tell him that he's digging in the wrong direction. He was originally buried under 30 meters of rubble. Now he's trapped under 200 meters of ferrocrete. Two. Yep. Oh, my gosh. It, and this is like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is one of those parts of the book where I'm like, okay, it, science fiction, there is a certain amount of suspension of disbelief. You, you just have to do that to accept it's science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. 200 meters of concrete. If you were talking 200 meters of water, he would have been crushed, right? Mm-hmm. If you're 650 feet under the water, that pressure would just liquefy your, your organs. Well, here he is, 200 meters of concrete, and he's still like, oh, God, i got to dig. <laughs> It's like, what? See, Dan, the problem is you're thinking about it. <laughs> what you got to like, do okay. is you got to not think I, about it. <laughs> oh, it, just, it just drove me nuts. Like, yeah, okay, I, I get it. 
My similar scene was coming up. I also had a break uh, coming up here in a moment. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, Trader Parmarks don't die. I get it. Check. Understood. Never die. Yep, fine. Um, So so as he begins to dig upward, Lorgar arrives right at the spot. And he uses his telekinetic power to start, like, removing rubble from the surface, trying to dig him out. And it's funny because... um, There is like this uh, aircraft, I think, that flies overhead or whatever. And there's, you know, the Ultramarines are shooting at him while he's doing this. And he basically just takes his mace and he throws it at this plane and it knocks it out of the sky, comes back to him. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, he's doing the uh, the Disney's Thor intro. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And he's just telekinetically moving these huge, you know, tons of rubble um, with his mind. And you're going, Okay, I see where this is going. Um, <laughs> and, um, there, the other thing that happens here while this is going on is Karn has seen, because he was almost right there where Lorgar is, and he has one of his sergeants telling him that, you know, I have more bad news, we're losing the battle. They're loyalist titans coming this way. Mm-hmm. You're going, oh my God. So, so where's that going to go, right? And... They this one Warhound Titan, a loyalist called Argentus, um, it looks and sees Lorgar in the crater. Yes. And a plasma blast gun shot uh-huh. at Lorgar. Yes. From a Warhound <laughs> Titan doesn't kill him. So friends, this is my scene. This is when I had to put my headphones off and put it, and think about my life for a hot second. <laughs> because this is what Reading this is what a two-up invuln with a re-roll in a game feels like. Where you're just like, this is dumb. <laughs> that should have killed that guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That is perfect, yeah. And so he's kind of there. He's got a kind shield. Obviously, he's got this telekinetic mm. power, so he can form a shield as well. So he's kind of down on his knees. You know, He's kind of burnt a little bit or whatever, even though... The basically a ball of the sun has hit, him, <laughs> right? And and then five the sun, a second shot, and he's still not dead. He's there and he's kind of crisp. You know, if you can imagine a burnt body, you know, kind of a thing. He's on his knees. He's not moving. Um, and the the Titan crew is getting all excited. We killed the Primarch. We killed the Primarch. Well, <clears throat> so. They tried. They want to take a third shot at him, and they're out of energy. So they're like, "Okay, fine. Let's just step on his butt. We'll just crush him." Well, sure enough, traitor, traitor Parmucks don't die. Yep. Angron has unburied himself, and he is holding up the foot of this tight. So, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's bad enough that he wasn't killed. Although his body was just really messed up, according to the book, but he's still got enough strength to, to pick up a Titan foot. To, yeah, this is a Titan. It's not like he's lifting a Land Raider. I would get that. This is all that pressure from this Titan, and it describes how his body is just starting to. His bones are cracking, and yep. it, and then okay. he just says, uh, "What is it?" Lorgar, like it just—he just keeps saying Lorgar in that grated voice 
yes. over and over. And I was like, you're killing me. You're killing me, ADB. Like, oh my. I mean, it's not, it's more than narrator, but. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, get out of the way. Move. <laughs> oh, God. And so now you're thinking, all right, fine. You know, this, this isn't going to work out well for them. But at the same time, we have loyalist um, warhounds. We have traitor warhounds, and they're from a group called the Ember Wolves, who are in a lot of the lore, even the newer lore they're in. And one of the interesting things about the Ember Wolves is they are all armed with an Ursus Claw, which is just basically a big harpoon. Yes. And oh, I love this scene. Yes. And and this is so cool. This is one of the coolest weapons in 40K or the Heresy for any t- um, Titan or Knight or anything. So they basically come up behind the Argentus and they shoot this magnetic harpoon into it right through its command, uh, you know, deck. And they literally drag it away from the two Primarchs. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but they were going into, like, discussion about how, like, to match the world eaters legion like the titan company had to come up with different ways to take on enemies that would match like the the speed the ferocity the whatever to keep up yep so then you're seeing them like come up with clever ways of just i don't know harpoons on titans is awesome (laughs) yeah you can imagine the size of this thing right yeah um so they pull them off and they both survived and Okay, you're just like whatever. Let's let's continue. But that was the worst of it. I think that was probably the worst of the absurd action, like that ruins the moment for me. (laughs) You're you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, And one of the things here we talked about at the beginning a little bit how there's a lot of foretelling or you know kind of laying the groundwork for other stuff that comes later in the heresy and in 40k. So. When Car- when Angron came out of the hole, he had his two axes that were just, you know, um, Gorefather and Gorechild. Yes. Which two- and he just threw them away because th- there was nothing left of them, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, Karn finds Gorechild. And even though it's just torn up, he's like, no, I- I'm going to take this to a tech priest and they are going to rebuild this. I don't care what it takes. Mm-hmm. And literally it has teeth from a mica dragon and he told this like you know magos i don't care if it takes 500 servitors whatever it was you're gonna dig all the teeth out from this hole so that i have mica dragon teeth for my new axe and this is how karn got Gorchild, which is really cool yeah well i mean yeah because he he knew he wanted the the axe, but like there was actually a tradition in the world eaters of like, you don't pick up broken weapons. They failed you. Yeah. And he was just like, no, this is a keepsake. I'm going to start a new tradition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things we talked about for a moment, we talked about this communion thing. There was, this is where we get this, uh, interesting explanation of the fate of the world eaters librarius. You know, because when you think about in modern times, corn and the world eaters, they just abhor anything to do with the warp. Yes. Right. And you're like, well, they had a librarian just like any other chapter. Well, they explain, I think, very well how 
the world eaters ended up with, I think they started with a hundred librarians. They said they're down to 20 when this communion and what this communion was, was the remaining librarians putting all their minds together so that they could talk to Angron and it cost them. Some of them even died in the process of doing this. But the reason there were so few was just like their brothers, they got nails pounded into their heads. Well, when the nails were put in there and the minds of Psyker, that did not work out well for anybody. Nope. I mean, they were blowing up other guys' heads, you know, that were around them and they were dying in horrible ways. And so slowly but surely this librarius was being whittled down to this small, small number. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are now. Their their librarius is dying and is going to die. And that's fine because it does match the story of the world eaters and of, you know, corn despises magic and the warp. So fine. You shouldn't have any librarians. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because they had to figure that out because they weren't making the connection between the butcher's nails and, and librarians necessarily. They knew that like, it would be the equivalent of, man, whenever that guy's around, I get a headache and you're not making the, the, well, it's because I put nails in my head and they're reacting to, Mm -hmm. to Phil over there. Like, (laughs) <laughs> so it's not until later on when the, the nails start going really insane in the story that they're like, it has something to do with him, that guy. It's not just psychers, it's that dude. Yeah, because he's got nails in his head. Yeah, they they finally made the connection you're talking about. Yep. And that's true. Um, but I thought it was interesting. And again, in the long term, that's an important thing to understand. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And yeah, so, but that's also great reasons why, like when you play Horus Heresy, the game, you can have psychers like, oh my gosh, every Legion has them. Like, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so in this story, we're back in space and Latara, uh, the captain of the conqueror, she's facing off against some ultramarine ships, which begin to retreat, but it's really only a ruse because basically the one that she's, pursuing in particular turns back and starts just moving right towards her ship. And at first people are thinking, Oh, they're going to ram us. And she's like, "Uh, no, I don't think so. And what they do is even though the ship's being torn apart, they're able to launch a bunch of boarding pods and it's an entire company. It's like a hundred ultramarines, right? So normally that wouldn't be a problem because Latara would have a force of like, five world eater companies on board her ship to defend it. But the problem is, is that that ship's defense force without permission has gone to the surface to fight with the rest of their brothers. And Lotara's only comment is this bloody legion. <laughs> yes. And here's the cool thing though. Um, is that she figures out, a way which is amazing in this story to defend her ship without any Marines. And this was part of the story that was very cool. Like totally unexpected. You just didn't think this was going to happen at all. Um, and we'll talk about that shortly. Um, but so we're back to Lorgar mm-hmm. and obviously his massive wounds are healing very slowly. Um, he engages in a telepathic communion with Horus and very interesting. This is this is Lorgar, though. You know, I'm better than everybody. I know yep. more than anybody. Oh, Even gosh, Horus. yes. He's so awful. <laughs> yes. 
And there's just this very subtle tension when you're listening to the story between him and Horace. And Horace is kind of like, oh, God, here goes. You could just hear him thinking, here goes Lorgar again, you know. And Horace is like, hey, I expect you to comply with my grand strategy here. And, you know, Lorgar is the arrogant know-it-all. Oh, it's prophecy and I'm foreseeing events. These are the things that are going to happen at the siege because there's going to be a siege. And um, <laughs> in the end, he Horace is just like, look, if you don't deliver on your promise to put a rune storm around Ultramar, I'm going to deal with you, right? Yep. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm results-driven. Yeah, and Lorgard just, he remains petulant. He's, he obviously believes he's more connected to the Pantheon than anybody else, including Horus. Little does he know. And it was just like this, oh, it just drives you. Lorgar is just a jerk. Like, yeah, <laughs> I like that. Well, and it's it's the, the arrogance that Erebus also has of like just this, I'm more connected than you, and I know more than you, so I'm going to be right. And yeah. there's no way that the Chaos Gods are, are feeding me bad intel. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going back to the ground now in the fight. Mm-hmm. And Karn has kind of been fighting the nails up to this point, but then he finally just gives in. And this, again... This is one of those things into the future, right? That you you see it on the page or hear it. He's screaming at the top of his voice, blood for the Primarch, skulls for the 12th Legion. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds a lot like blood for the blood guy, yeah. skulls for the skull throne, doesn't it? Probably irrelevant. Like, a lot like, yeah, totally irrelevant. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> Which you're going, wait, okay, this is the moment right here. This was the moment in the whole heresy when this started. And he didn't even know it's when it started or what he started. <laughs> um, so as he's fighting, Argyll Tall joins him, which is kind of cool because, you know, they're brothers. And, and it's kind of cool that way. Um, but they receive a uh, distress call from the Legio Ordax, which that titan that pulled the other one off of Lorgar and Angron uh, was called the Sergala. So they get a distress call. And uh, Karn says, hey, go save these people. Yep. So he's like, Argyll Tall's like, okay. And, I'll try to do it. He's, he's, he's a team player. Argyll Tall yeah, is actually yeah. really cool. I did not realize how much I was going to like him. It's great. And, of course, as he gets there, there are a bunch of Ultramarines that are about to break into the command uh, uh, deck because Kida and Toth are the two characters that we're really concerned about. There are others, but they're the most important members of the command crew. Um, but Argyll Tog gets there, and he just says to them, Karn, asked me to keep you alive. <laughs> Kida looks at him, and first she's like, oh, he's Galvor back. But then all of a sudden she realizes there's a demon lifting her <laughs> out of the compartment, and she starts screaming. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Oh, God, he's actually touching me. Ah. So he rescues them. Cool. That's important. And it's important because there's a part of this story where they come back a little later. Um, But again, I think that one little piece with Sergala, because it it had that um, moment of saving the two Primarchs, we think, 
that's why I think it's in the story and stuff. So absolutely, and it, it, it did add a lot in terms of like developing that. <clears throat> Even if the the Titan side wasn't my favorite, it definitely mm-hmm. like made it a complete story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you wonder about that. It, the other thing that both with Lotara and the Conqueror and these two is you have to again be reminded this is before the world eaters went to chaos. The, these are just, yep. these are renegade humans, Marines, not tra- humans, chaos or whatever. Yeah. Right? Human crews fighting for the world eaters. That's it. They're just fighting with their legion. That's all. Um, and there's nothing else to it. The, to them, they don't know that other piece of it. So, um, interestingly enough, there's a callback here uh, to a confrontation. And this, again, is part of you talk about the um, origin story, you know, and, and building on Angron's background and the world leaders, I think, too. There's uh, a very famous confrontation called the Night of the Wolf. Yeah. And there was uh, a confrontation between Angron and Lehman Russ on the planet uh, Makoya. And very interesting um, conversation between the two. Russ says he's basically been sent to bring the world leaders back to Terra to have the nails removed. And uh, no, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. and, and of course, Angron rationalizes his path of butchery. Um, by calling out the hypocrisy of the emperor and the imperium, and it's like an it's it's Engron's first major "woe is me" moment. Yes, he's going, oh God, just stop with the self pity, man. It just it, it just doesn't suit you as the character you are. So. Well, but I I this scene was really important for me. It was. It was. Um, because for me, it was. It was the moment where, because at this point the battle's over. This is Lorgar and uh, Angron talking, right? Right, right. And, and so Lorgar is listening to this story, and he's giving feedback in real time <laughs> yeah. of on Angron's opinion. And so Angron tells the story like, "Oh yeah, Russ came to pick a fight with me, and uh, I outdid him. I'm way cooler than the wolf himself." And as he's telling the story, Lorgar's like, "You lost." Like. <laughs> What happened was a bunch of world leaders and a bunch of space wolves got together and Russ wanted to teach him a lesson about like what it means to lead. Angron goes immediately after Russ, separates from his men, gets surrounded, and Russ pauses the battle to be like, look at yourself. Like, you're going to die alone and I'll win the war, but you and and Angron's not making the connection. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to kill you. And as long as I kill you, I win, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like yes. the and Lorgar is putting this together for him of like you missed the lesson he was trying to teach you, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it was. You're right. That's yeah, exactly. It, what it, was. it was just like he was trying to help you in that specific. Even though nobody liked Russ in, in this conversation or context, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's actually. Um, oh. It, there's a quote I had in another part of the notes. It says, he says to him, Russ proved his son's loyalty while yours leave you to die. Yep. You're only weak if you fail to see Russ's lesson. And you're also a fool. Like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yep. And <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Cause like, because Angron is by design, such a one note, villain mm-hmm. 
getting everybody else's perspective on how they tried to help coers navigate or whatever, like was, was, I thought that was a very interesting exchange for me mm. personally. I was like, Oh, I mean, I appreciated the heck out of that story. And then, so there's this tale of space wolves versus world eaters. And both of them think they won, <laughs> which is just yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It really is. And again, Lorgar's perspective, like you said, trying to guide Angron just a little bit. And giving him that perspective was really, really critical. Um, okay, sorry, so please continue. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. Um, so we go back to the command deck of the Conqueror. And what Lotara has done is she has dived into the lowest reaches of the ship. And there are 13 Contemptor Dreadnoughts. <laughs> yes. It is like, you must have loved that. I mean, from a heresy perspective, going... I'd love to have 13 contemptors on the board oh, just yeah. to see what would happen, right? Oh, and contempt. I don't know. I know you don't play the tabletop game. Contemptors are so freaking <laughs> good. This is like the most OP army. Like from this is this is a thing that is hard to make a narrative battle about because it would be so one sided yeah. on the tabletop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it it was really good. It was just so and it was so brilliant of her. Like no, they were just down there. Nobody thought about them at all nope. except for Lotara. Well, because nobody um, cares about the veterans who can't keep up. If you're in a dreadnought chassis, you're slow as all get out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they end up. Uh, she, she just <laughs> when when they come, she talks to Locke, who, interesting enough, Locke, who's one of the contemptors, was the Legion master before Angron arrived. Yes. So he's still in one of the contemptors, and she's like, "Get these dog screwing whore sons off my <laughs> ship." The <laughs> I just love Latar. She's amazing. Anyway, so you know, he they they obviously some of them are dying, and by the time they kill all of the ultramarines, there are only three out of the thirteen that have survived, including Locke. And you're like, oh Ooh. man. Like yep. that's that's insane. This is one heck of a zone mortalis tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. And you would love it. You would love it. Um, so, uh, we're back on the surface and Karn and Argotal have defeated an Ultramarine's force. And there's really an interesting, you know, it's really demonstrative, I guess, of the contrast in the legions because you have butchery on Karn's side, you have torture on Argotal's side. Yes. And, you know, you have mercy killings, which is what Karn and his guys do versus feeding on the suffering and the pain and the sacrifices, uncorrupted versus corrupted, because really that's that's the key difference is that the world eaters have not been corrupted by chaos yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, there's this ignorance of the Pathion versus an immersion in it. Um, you have, you know, Angron, who still is not aware. He's just Angron. And Lorgar, who is just saturated in the warp, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Lorgar's got a higher just, calling, and Angron's got daddy issues. That's why he's going to Terra. It's true, right? Um, but it's just interesting, you know. I th- I can't remember who it was. I think it was Argotal said, "Here we are fighting ignorance and slavery with genocide." Yep. <laughs> what a great point, man. <laughs> you know, and uh, and things are going he great. Said, he has like a big thumbs up and a big smile on his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then. Um, he 
he kind of he's contemplated and he's he thinks to himself, my three best friends in the world are a legion warrior with nails in his head, a blind girl he couldn't save, and a demon that's wrapped itself around his soul. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was very poignant to me, that whole scene. Yep. For he's just kind of taking inventory of his life. Oh my gosh. It, and it's amazing that he encounters such good friends. This is what I love about the relationship there because they're so dialectically the opposite, right? Yes. And it, it's it's really cool. Um, so this this is really fun. This is another Lotara moment that I love. So she's gone to the embarkation deck to meet Kia, Kita and Toph, the, the crew from that command uh, titan, because she knew the captain. They're just crew. They're not captain. Uh, and because she knew this guy, she was very close to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the leader of the Legio Ordax and – um, so she wanted to know what the status was. And so as she's talking to them, this guy named Del Varus, this world eater, and his triare, which are the five companies of guys that should have been on the ship. Yes. Defending it. Come back on board the ship. So this is a space marine. This is a world eater. Latara pulls out her pistol and shoots Del Varus in the face. And I'm going, oh, girl. So yeah, dude. Awesome. That's you know, if you're a short queen, you do what you can to get someone's attention. She shot right. him in the freaking head. Were, were you expecting that? I, that was totally unexpected. Oh no, no, I did not. I was like, oh, that's, that's awesome. So I like, I like her, Moxie. She's just great. And then, so his <clears throat> men come up and fire at her, but both rounds don't hit. They just stop right away from her. And it's because one of the librarians named Eska, he's the kind of the leader of the remaining librarians for the world eaters, they stop the shells. Yep. And so she doesn't die. You know, of course, she's absolutely incensed because 2,000 crew were lost because yes. he wasn't there. Because um, he abandoned his post, essentially. That's, that's yeah. the prime, right? Right. It, it should be. Maybe not in the world eaters, but it should be, right? Oh, um, no, no. We're going to find out. It is. <laughs> It's a crime. <laughs> and eventually he backs down because he realizes, look, man, it, <laughs> this is just um, – and you wonder – this is interesting too, I think. You wonder how this would have played out after the Legion turned to chaos. You know, would it have oh, been – human crew? Yeah. I mean, how would that have all worked out? Would they have just – would the world eaters have just been – berserkers who they are and just like not cared and just killed her anyway you know just wonder that they haven't turned yet so there's still some modicum of mutual respect or understanding about your actions i think it's also hard because i feel like this book paints a picture of a legion that for it to function as chaos warbands in 40k like at some point they have to respect the fact that they need someone to drive the ship like yeah. someone uh, has to move the bus. And so yeah. um I I wonder if it's it's less that this event would go differently in the future. Mm. But that like maybe I don't know, Angron would have a personal champion assigned to Latara or something like that. I mean just sure. to keep that in check because yeah, you're right. <laughs> she she did. She just walked right up and put a gun out. <laughs> On her own ship and shot some dude in the head. <laughs> oh. awesome, and it was that was her way of being like, hey, that was crap. 
2,000 crew. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's crazy to me that 100 Marines killed 2,000 crew. You know, that, that's nuts. Uh, anyway, so um, we're on the Fidelitas Rex now, which is Lorgar's flagship, at least for now. And he's joined by Angron and Karn and Argyll Tal. And Erebus comes in the room. Oh, Erebus. You, oh, my God. I Just Erebus. Anything Erebus. I just want to walk away. He just... <laughs> I hate, I absolutely hate this character. So um, so what they want to do is they want to demonstrate to Angron that the warp powers that he and, you know, Erebus and Lorgar have are not just parlor tricks. Because that's kind of what Angron sees this as. You know, they're just parlor tricks. They're not a big deal. So Lorgar uses one of his words of power to throw them all off their feet. They're just, boom, blasted back. Yep. And then he says, you know, never again call my stuff magic or parlor tricks or witchcraft never and <laughs> you're going what you're just saying this to angron are you so arrogant that oh my gosh you know it, you're not the only one who has this kind of power right but he acts like he is because there are other primarchs that have gone to chaos at this point and and i don't know just it's just that well, and, and part of it, part of that, as far as like Lorgar's, you know, demonstration of all these superpowers and all that kind of stuff, I, I felt like it was maybe showing off his arrogance in that they seem to like demonstrate these manifestations of the warp to the world eaters as if they're like parlor tricks in front of kids. Yeah. Because yeah. they just think the kids are too stupid to understand or something like that. I, you know what I mean? Like that kind of yeah. a, a, a deal, like you're getting one over and. Angron correctly assesses that he doesn't understand how they're doing it, but also I don't care. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. care how you do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things I think, again, that Lorgar just totally misses here, he never really considers how powerful Horus is becoming. Yes. Agreed. In treating with the Pantheon. You know, he thinks he's the only one who has this massive connection, but Horus is, he's kind of the original, you know, and he's been talking to the powers for a long time and he's been building up all these things that, and, and Lorgar just doesn't acknowledge it. I don't think, uh, well, and and part then, of it is, is the, they're all learning at the same time that even amongst the Primarchs, this idea that uh, games workshop has for chaos in both age of Sigmar and 40 K Horus heresy, whatever, is this idea of the path to glory, which is like a champion has to like always be the best. And everyone thinks they're the main character of all these stories. And uh, like, well, you know, Highlander style, there can be only one. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, I mean, like what I mean, like Horace thinks he's in charge and Erebus uh, and Lorgar all think that, well, I'm the one who really knows what's going on. Yeah. I'm the one that really gets it. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because there's a book, one of the books, one of the Harrison books called Slaves to Darkness. Yep. And, oh my gosh, it's so, it's a wonderful book in that there's this final, like, I, we can't, we're not going to spoil it, but it's just, it's very satisfying for certain reasons <laughs> at the end. Um, so everybody leaves and then Erebus and Lorgar are having this conversation and 
Lorgar is just kind of annoyed. He goes, you know, this, he says this Cygnus Prime thing, this project that you guys are did, you know, it's just a fool's errand. Well, we know that it wasn't because we talked about the book. Right. Uh, and um, he and Erebus kind of have a standoff. And he's like, hey, you know what, Lorgar? I actually speak to the warp a lot more than you do. And the warp loves me better than they love you. In essence, is what he said. Yep. And you're going, oh, man, you are your father's son. <laughs> they all are. And that has been such a great, consistent theme. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and the other thing that Lorgar and Erebus talk about is that Argyll Tal will die in the shadow of great wings. Okay, this is a prophecy. Die in the shadow of great wings. All right. Hmm. All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think that's it. Then we'll move on. Uh, so Argyltal, after all of this, has gone to the chamber where Cyrene Valantian's remains are kept on the ship. And, mm-hmm. well, they're supposed to be kept there. Um uh, <laughs> So Erebus comes in and kind of, of course, Erebus being the snake that he is, he says, hey, you know what? Um, I can bring her back. And you're going, oh, that's the Argyltal has no weaknesses except for Sereni yep. or Sireni, depending on how you pronounce it. it. I mean, he is his relationship with her is so interesting because he if a space marine is able to care for and love someone, he loves Sirene. He just does. Absolutely. Let's just say it because it's true. And so Erebus, you know, he knows of this weakness, as it were. Um, and he says, hey, the one problem we have is that somebody's stolen her remains. <laughs> like, what? Well, these there are people on the Fidelitas Rex, they're cultists, you know, living in the lower decks and the, the scum of the ship. They've taken her remains. And <laughs> so Argyltal says, Hey Karn, I need you to come with me. I have something I need to do. <laughs> yeah. Come br- come to me, other killing machine. We're going on a fetch quest. <laughs> so they come up to this door and Argo call Argotal is like, hey, I need to go in there. Could you stand out here and just keep people from running away? (laughs) (laughs) Keep an eye out. Be cool. And there's just, you hear chain swords and demons shrieking and bloodshed. (laughs) And he kills like a hundred (laughs) people. And he gets her remains. Yeah, just standing there at the door, kind of tapping your foot. You have your arms crossed. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, when they're walking back, one of the things, again, that's interesting because of this thing we just talked about, which is this prophecy that Argo Tal will die in the shadow of great wings, is that um, uh, they speak about the fact that, especially Argo Tal says, you know, Erebus absolutely hates you, Karn. I'm yep. just telling you. He <laughs> hates you. He absolutely, if he could, he would kill you if he could. Yes. Um, and he was actually, Erebus was like, hey, Argotal, I, I know you like this guy, but if things are going to work out, if the skein of fate is going to work out, would you mind kidding? And Argotal's like, what? Like, you're just an idiot. I'm not going to kill my best friend. Yep. Uh, it's just interesting, all those little pieces of the conversation. Um, 
So they get the remains back, and Erebus starts doing his thing. And this body of hers, what what's left, it's really just bones with flesh on it, basically, yep. is all that's left now. It just starts to horribly re-knit itself, and the scene is just, oh, man, it's just hideous. Can I say, and, as far as... Um the ability of, of writers to write interesting sci-fi scenes and like supernatural things. Aaron does yeah. a fantastic job of making this yes. both creepy, but also not diverge from the sci-fi feel. Cause I mean, yes. there's yeah. a fantasy aspect to 40 K of course, with the demons in the war, but I just thought it was really well done. It was, there was that horror piece. Yes. You know, that you're talking about. Yeah. But it keeps some, it, some are it. not great at that. Uh, I, oh, he is. Yep. Um, and, the whole thing ends that she lets out this soul wrenching scream and you could just imagine what Argyll Tal is going through, hearing her suffer like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, they try to move her to a more private place now that she's quote, you know, revived, but there's like hundreds of crew that just want to touch her. You know, she's a saint at this point to them. Yeah. Yeah. And even work bears, they're even, we're bearers Marines that want to touch her yep. and <laughs> Karn and all girl tall are just not putting up with that. I mean, they just butcher dozens of people and probably some space Marines. Yep. Um, they have a great time. Yeah. And then when they're almost being, cause there are just hundreds of these people, you know, it's just two Marines, this um, group called the Vakra Yal and it's uh, Argyll Tall's guys kind of, mm-hmm. they have these like hand flamer things. <laughs> So they show up just in time and they just basically torch their way through these crowds. Like, oh my gosh, it it doesn't matter. I was was reading that scene and I was like, okay, so this is when everybody's really cool and on the same side. Let's fast forward to 40K. What does a word bearer ship look like as cultists are being like, (laughs) oh, it's just because all just everything has to get worse. (laughs) Yeah. And this, this made it worse when he, it was bad enough that the two of them were butchering people. <laughs> Flame on, man. Ugh. Um, so we're shifting back Lorgar. He's doing Lorgar stuff. You know, he's there contemplating whatever. So Engram walks in. <laughs> that is and, Lorgar stuff. <laughs> Can we just and, say? He, and he asks, he says, why are we going to Nuceria? Which Nuceria is Angron's home world. Yes. Right? And he goes, I'm going to save you, brother. The nails are killing you. It's just just like that. Just quietly. I'm going to save you, brother. The nails are killing you. And then we, you know, this is another recollection of that, a a more detailed recollection of the, the night of the wolf thing. Um, And by the time they're finished, Angron just finishes and he says, you know, to Lorga, I respect you, but I'll never like you, man. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. I was going to touch on that. Oh, my gosh. Um, so to kind of like back out for just a bit. So sure. a yeah. lot of what we've talked about was just dialogue happening during that opening battle. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is, as we said, um, the word bearers and the world eaters carving a path through the 500 worlds of Ultramar. Yes. And they have a goal of creating the ruin storm, which we know about. Mm-hmm. But there's this been these hints of dialogue that Lorgar definitely has an ulterior motive. And, Mm-hmm. It is expressed that he wants to save his brother. And this this goes on throughout the entire book. You had mentioned, you know, the captain commenting that he's getting worse regarding Angron. 
Um, The nails are getting worse. He's losing control. He can't make even like a a rational sentence sometimes when they get near a, a planet to fight. And so he has been pitching this plan as saving his brother. And there's some awesome conversations about brotherhood and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and, and we're going to, and, and Angron is like, well, why does it have to be my home world? <clears throat> and essentially Lorgar is pointing this to him as like the warp is a song and we're going there to save you. And it has to be there because it's emotionally important to you. And, Angron's just not having it. He doesn't understand. He can't fathom how the emotions and how this matters. And he's just kind of bitter. He's like, I don't want to go back there. That place was awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I wanted to highlight the fact that this is the, it opens on one battle. There's a lot of dialogue and then it goes immediately into what this next sequence we're going to go in, which ultimately ends the book. Um, yes. And it's all for a crescendo centered on Angron's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> of yes. which he has yep. one. <laughs> yes. Yep. So please continue. I just wanted to kind of set that because we, we jumped really, right over to Nasseria. And I think it's a, what you said is important that, you know, he's his focus on telling anger on it time and time again, I want to save your brother. Yes. But knowing Lorgar, we all know that there's an ulterior motive. Yep. We know there is. There's something else going on that he wants to happen. And so you're going, okay, yep, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's just see where this goes, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so the, the, the fleets arrive over New Syria. There's a mass landing. The Primarchs both go down. The legions go down. Um, Angron goes kind of to the palace of the Desher, oh, of in the city of Desher, which is where all these gladiatorial fights were happening when he was growing up. And after he basically slaughters the leaders – he turns to the legions and says, I want every living being on this planet killed. Every single one. <laughs> door to door. <laughs> what? <laughs> so um, so while Angron now is going out, just satisfying his need for revenge, uh, Lotar has detected the arrival of a very large ultramarines battle fleet. Mm-hmm. And you're going, whoa, wait a minute. This is weird. Like, how did they know? To me, my first question was, how did they know they were going to come to Syria? Um, and uh, <laughs> so aboard the Blessed Lady, um, Cyrene is walking around the ship mm-hmm. and she sees her likeness there. There's like a statue kind of a thing. Um, and she says to one of the caretakers, you know, who, who is this? Like... And all of a sudden, the caretaker isn't who we think the caretaker is. The caretaker ends up being someone who is trying to get her away from the ship. Mm-hmm. He's trying to take her away. And you're going, well, wait a minute. Who is this person? Like, where did they come into this story? Because this was weird how they just interjected. Yeah. This was we a very know, uh, up to Yeah. <laughs> we know who this person is. We know that this person is a perpetual. We know that this person isn't John Gamaticus because of the way the individual talks about certain things. So we're thinking maybe it's old Pearson or it's one of the other perpetuals who wants to get her away from where she is now. And it, later in the stories, you'll understand why this happened, but it just was kind of a, awkward thing 
that happened in the story. It, it broke to me the cadence of the story. A little I agree. Bit. I agree. I, I feel like um, this, the book was written and then an editor was like, we have another story about perpetuals. We need you to inject a segue. And and that's all it was because it didn't. I mean, in this book, it didn't go anywhere. But essentially, yeah, Sirini is now a perpetual because of being rezzed by uh, Erebus. Erebus, yeah. yes, I'm sorry. Uh, but yes, so yeah. like, okay, I was like, okay, weird a side exit for a character that I wasn't super attached to in this story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, just kind of weird. Anyway. Uh, just wanted to mention that because if you're listening to this or reading, you're going to hit this. It's kind of like a speed bump. You're going, what? You know, it we is. just wanted to mention it. that It's there. Um, one saying, thing I do oh, want to point out is in this scene is one of the, the the dialogue was so good that it allowed me to overcome the voice acting. And and so that's my highest praise. Okay. When Angron is, yeah. he walks around a basically a ceremonial gladiatorial pit that's been untouched for hundreds of years. He drops to the planet, and this is the point where we learn all his backstory. Because, um, right? Because then, then the battle starts, and we don't get to do that. So, at this point in the story, we learn his background origin that he was going to take over control of his planet and lead a gladiatorial slave uprising, and that was stolen from him. Spartacus. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep. And that was stolen from him because the emperor. Instead of coming down and letting him, his son, conquer the planet like he did with so many other Primarchs, for whatever reason, it's never explained. He just picked Angron up and threw him in a holding cell, and then the Emperor annihilated everything and did. You know, he brought the planet into compliance. Mm-hmm. And the seed of of that, I felt like that um, that bit of dialogue, that that speech that he gives to his legion is probably one of the most fascinating and I think well-written things that Black Library has ever produced because he postulates on why the Emperor did this, why did you treat me differently, and from the minute that he became a Primarch, like he was zoomed up to the ship to take control of his legion, presumably, he was born a betrayer. Like, Mm -hmm. that he he didn't fulfill the oath that he had with all these people. He was going to see that fight through to the end. And other legions inducted their greatest mortal warriors to become space marines. Everyone that he ever had an oath to and fought with is dead because he wasn't there. And so I felt like if there was ever a shred of multi-notes or whatever that was a part of Angeron's character, they happen in this speech, and it's awesome. Like, it's just, I loved it. I loved it. Because it's interesting that you... you put some stress on this because I have something a little bit in the notes of Gilliman responding to some stuff that Angron was saying. And Gilliman's response is just awesome to me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't there for this, the speech, but yeah, he responds basically to something. No. And it was, his response was brilliant. And I thought really kind of put things in perspective, but that, that is a great point that now we know why he's here, why he's angry why he hates the emperor so much that make all makes sense. Yep. Um, and I felt like, uh, if you're a, a world eater, this, this was mm-hmm. the chapter that you're like, yeah, hell yeah, I deserve the, I deserve to be the emperor. <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah. Everybody gets their motivation for fighting. Sure. You, you, everybody, but you need that in a mm-hmm. civil war, right? 
I mean, it's uh, certainly in their origin story. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're in the space battle, and um, uh, the, the most Ultramarines just arrived. Yep. Yeah, the um, Ultramarines arrived, and the most consequential casualty, interestingly enough, is the Fidelitas Rex. You know, Lorgar's flagship, and. Um, it ends up that it crashes into an ocean really close to where this huge surface battle is taking. And at first thing you're going is like, okay, tsunami. But then <laughs> I guess it lands just right and stuff. Um, but it crash lands and it's gone. So no more Fidelitas Lex, at least at this point in the heresy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what did happen, though, while all this was going on is the Legio Ordax, which is the legion of warhounds that we know about. Um, it's commanded by a guy named Orden Lyrak, who took over from the other guy who was killed. Um, he, he's got 30 warhounds. I just like trying to picture that <laughs> 30 freaking warhounds. He orders six packs of these things to be part of the advance. They don't keep that many warhounds stocked in a, in a games workshop store. No, no. Even the even the Imperialis one, even the little ones. Yeah. That many, right? And so the reason, though, originally it was four. And then he, they're talking to him like, hey, that's a lot. You know, it's uh, Kida and Toth are saying that's a lot. And he's like, well, well, let's make it five. And then they're going, wait a minute. five. Goes, no, let's make it six. Six. We want 30 warhounds. It turns out they're facing an Imperator Titan. An Imperator. Which, which is essentially a, a, a fortress on legs. <laughs> <laughs> like Even the though. biggest titan that exists, like as an imperator. Um, and it's got a name. It's the Corinthian. Of course, you got to have a name for stuff like that. Um, so this pack of 30 warhounds is just essentially charging this freaking... It, it's kind of cinematic. It's pretty epic, actually, when you think about it. Um on the planet's surface, though, Gilliman, of course, has come down to the planet because he has a strategy here. You can tell because he's got a chance here to kill two traitor Primarchs. Yes. He has a chance yep. to kill Engron and Lorgar. Lorgar in particular because of stuff um, or Kalf. Um, and so Lorgar and Gilliman face off and Argotal and Karn fight side by side. The Ordax is approaching the Corinthian. All these things are going on. Um, what's really cool about the Warhounds is we know that they have Ursus Claws. Every single one of them. 30 of them have uh, uh, um, Ursus Claws. And this guy, this Lyrak guy goes, hey, I want to take this thing alive. And you're mm-hmm. going, what? Well, it's really cool because what they basically do is they shoot these Ursus Claws into the arms of this huge imperator and they drag the arms down. So they're pointing straight down. So if they want to fire these weapons, everyone has to die. (laughs) It's going to blow its own feet off, right? It's own legs off. Well, and there's also like all the Ultramarines are running in between the feet of these Titans. So it's like, you have to destroy your whole army if you want to take this out. Like, yeah, but it was just brilliant. And he could just see that. And I guess they said that, 12 about a dozen of them got killed on their way in so it's almost half of them died on their way in worth um, it yeah that's just really cool Very that's cool. exactly how they thought you're like worth it <laughs> you worth it absolutely 
So uh, that's going on. Um, Angron joins the Primarch fight, of course, because Lorgar isn't going to be able to take Gilliman out. And Gilliman is beating the crap out of him. Oh, he's a book nerd. Oh, man. So good. Um, And um, when Lorgar and Gilliman were fighting, Lorgar noticed that the song, you know, the warp song or whatever, was out of tune. There was something wrong. Gilliman was not supposed to be here. He was not part of this. Um, of this saving his brother quote he's messed everything up and the song is just misaligned and when angron comes back into the fight all of a sudden the song's right again everything's cool everything's going along the way it should angron and this is the part i think is so cool lectures gilliman about how difficult his life was it's just constant to me it was a constant drone of self-pity right yep and Gilliman responds, and this is a quote, and I thought this was fascinating. He said, you're still a slave, Angron, enslaved by your past, too blind to the future, too hateful to learn, and too spiteful to prosper. Wow. <laughs> like, like, oh, my God. Like, ugh, game over, man. You doctor filled him right in the battlefield. Oh, my gosh. Like, that is exactly the problem. All those things are the problem. Um, and while they're fighting. So that, that was just awesome. That, right. that just stopped me while I'm listening to I had to re, I had to play that back like three times because I, I wanted to get that quote right. It was so good. Well, and, um, and side note, I had to pause it and be like, you know what you don't say to Angron? You're still a slave. <laughs> like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that was the wrong It was the right answer, but the wrong one. So one of the things that happened when Gilliman was fighting Angron is Angron kind of had this bolero or of uh, skulls, you know, that he had he had uh, salvaged from this battlefield of the people that he had fought with and for, and they were going to be kind of you know remembrance um, remembrance kind of thing for him. Well, Gilliman cuts this thing off, and there's skulls that are on the ground. Well, he, he didn't mean to, but he stepped in one of the skulls and it shattered. And this is this is the moment. So Angron sees this skull crack, and his rage just reaches apocalyptic levels now. And oh my gosh, <laughs> it's just insane now. So while Angron and Gilliman are fighting, not really fighting, Gilliman's just defending himself because Angron's just yes. way more powerful. He's yeah, just fight implies that this is two ways, and it's just simply one. <laughs> yeah. So while they're doing that, of course, what's Lorgar doing? He's chanting. He's initiating a ritual because he's Lorgar. He's a world uh, word bearer. And um, so some kind of ritual is happening. It looks like all of a sudden, you know, as this thing gets worse and worse, the, the sky literally starts raining blood. And Eska and the rest of the remaining world uh, eaters, librarians, we've talked about them, they sense that the warp is kind of coming into reality. The Lorgar is almost like trying to open up a, a portal or something. Yep. You know, He's into, trying to build a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're like, we have to form community again to stop this guy. They have to stop him before he does whatever he's going to do because it's going to be bad. Um, and Lorgar just continues to chant the names of Neverborn. And, you know, it's the perfect song. And it finds Angron. And Angron starts to mutate. He grows. He twists. 
His body just does weird things. His rage is like godlike now. Um, He tears away all his armor. He's in unspeakable pain. His body is consumed in warp fire. Right. And Lorgar realizes is like, I think at least that this is the implication I have. He has realized that Angron is the only one of his brothers that can serve as a conduit for corn. Cause obviously he knows all four of the pantheon mm-hmm. and he's like, Oh, this is perfect. This is so perfect. So it wasn't about saving your brother at all. It was about this. But this see, is what everything was. This is what I'll push back on you. I don't think he knows the difference. Like, Mm. He did keep something that is Angron around, but now it's like mm. I don't know because he, he uh, Lorgar yeah, doesn't I, necessarily see the warp as like separate from; it's just right. in addition to. And so, like I don't, but I agree. It's like you don't know where the story is. How much was he lying? He knew that this was not saving in the sense that everyone else thought. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I don't and, know. Yeah. You know, he's rationalizing oh, of course. that this yeah. is the only way to save his brother. You know, this is the only way to save Angron. There's no other way to do it. Um, you know, you get the metaphysical theater going on now because as Lorgar chants, the communion literally of these librarians pulls him into the warp kind of. They're trying to kill him. They've kind of formed this gestalt, uh, gestalt uh, warrior that's fighting him in the warp, you know? Yes. And their mistake, of course, is that they don't understand that Lorgar is probably more powerful in the warp than he is out of the warp. Yeah. <laughs> and he's literally just reaching in to this warrior kind of, and just like plucking out their souls one at a time. Oh yeah. No, they walked into his kingdom and uh, they were oh. not prepared. <laughs> and that just, that just doesn't go well at all. Um, so all this is happening. Argotal and Karn are speaking about Erebus's uh, prophecy that Argotal will die in the shadow of great wings. And, you know, Karn is like, hey, I saved my brother. I saved my brother. I saved my brother. He's not dead. Argotal is, hey, look, this is all Erebus being an idiot. I'm not dead. It's all cool. Right. Um, so Karn, satisfied that his brother is safe. Leaves to rejoin his legion because they're all kind of fighting together. They're fighting apart. Um, and Erebus all of a sudden arrives as he does. He, as you said, we were talking before. He's the MacGuffin, man. He is the friggin' MacGuffin. And he just appears out of nowhere when you need him. When you're reading the siege books, all of a sudden you need Erebus. Boop. He pops into a scene and you're like, oh, God, it's Erebus again. <laughs> it's just like they roll a dice. You know, yep. I need a one on a, on a D20. I got the one. It's Erebus. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he's talking to Elgrim Tall and they're kind of alone, which is weird. And Rom, you know, the demon, he's like, you got to kill this guy. Kill him. Kill him. Kill him now. (laughs) Um, But Argon Tall is like, no, it's fine. It's okay. Let's hear him out. (laughs) And he like screams at him like, you got to kill him. And all of a sudden, it's the knife in the back. Yep. And, of course, we know who's holding the knife. It's Erebus. And he is just, you know, given a fatal blow to Argotal. And the knife, of course, we're assuming is like an athane, you know, one of those demon knives. Because what happens is Rom just disappears. The demon is gone. Yep. And it's just Argotal now. Argotal word bearer. 
Um, and, you know, as he falls to the ground, he sees the Colchisian knife um, and explains to him the reason I did this. You know, kind of, I'm sorry I did this, but yep. your humanity, your weakness for Sirene, uh, you're unreliable. And I can't control you. So you have to die. Oh, and more importantly, you would have kept Karn from going on the Pantheon's pass. Yeah, man, and, that guy's going places. Yeah, and it's not acceptable. So interestingly enough, as we look around the scene we are at, Argotal has died under the shadow of a huge imperial aquila with the wings. Yep. So the, the prophecy has come true. Sadly, sadly, he was such a great character. And of I course, know. Erebus had to be the one to kill him. It's like, God damn, Erebus. I want to like, I want to pay money for these authors to kill him off. You know, I just want to die. <laughs> He's got to die sometime. That's so funny. I, I, I thought it was, um, it was a really well done scene for betrayal. Like I, it was great. Yes. Terrible, but great. Well done. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so now uh, let's go back to what's going on with Lorgar. Um, Locke, who's the, the one contemptor that's left, mm -hmm. he and the remaining uh, librarians in the real world are attacking Lorgar now. So it's a little bit closer now because Lorgar's got to fight off this contemptor, right? But one more time, it's like yawn. Angron saves Lorgar. <laughs> and he slaughters. I mean, he just, he's, he is the new Angron now. He is massive. He is the model that we have all seen. In 40K, yes. Yep. In 40K, right? He is that thing. He is that beast. And he just literally just tears this contemptor apart without even thinking about it, right? That's all gone. And the librarians are killed by Lorgar. Just, he starts popping their heads like grapes. Um, and Lorgar, he says, here we go again, blood for the blood God. Yes. Oh, oh my God. Here we go. Here uh, we go. So I will say, uh, if you have any interest in chaos warbands, reading his transformation is really cool. Like I, I thought it was a great scene. Mm -hmm. There's like warp fire yes. going around. It's raining blood. Oh. There's like. Things are just exploding everywhere. <clears throat> as far as like just a general transformation scene, even if you're not a world eaters person, like Demon Prince Dumb is the goal of every Chaos Warband. So no matter what kind of chaos you play, this is a really cool scene. Like this is what you want. <laughs> this is what you want for your guy. Yes, for sure. Um, and, and that's kind of the, the, the climax. There's some things that happen. I, I think yep. that are meaningful at least. So, one of the things we go back to the bridge of the conqueror and you know, the ultramarines have still, you know, they're there, they've boarded again. Um, but this time Del Varus and his triari have been there. Mm -hmm. uh, and you, you see the Varus come onto the bridge. It's full, just full of dead ultramarines, full of dead wordy world eaters. And literally you see Del Varus like pick up Latara and he's like, Wow. It was kind of cool because she says, you know, of course, I take back anything I've ever said about you. Um, and <laughs> then one of her, her crew members says, we have no power, no weapons, no navigation. And, of course, in Lotara fashion, she goes, well, lucky for us, they're running then, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a fun little scene to kind that of thing they're running away. You know, and then we have um, Karn and Lorgar are on board the Trisagen, and Karn says to Lorgar that they bound a demon in the Conqueror's hold. And Lorgar says, uh, it's not a demon, it's Angron. And that's it. Boy. That's all it is. It's just it's just Angron. Um, and I am the only one, <laughs> of course, that saved him from a painful death from the nails. It was me. Nobody else. I saved him. Yep. Um, and when Karn kind of like he starts to protest, Lorgar's like, no, oh, Angron didn't die. He just ascended. Yep. There's a big difference between those two. Yeah, you, yeah, you leveled up. And then, of course, as Karn is leaving, Lorgar is like, "Hey, I know who killed Argyll Tall." Just, just because he's hoping that Karn's going to go and kill Erebus. You know that's why he did that. You know he wanted him to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So we find Erebus now in the pits on the ship. He's fighting. He's showing off because he's beating everybody. He's competing against right he's all so, swollen with like power oh, all yeah, his machinations are going well oh god and so all of a sudden karn shows up and he's like he kind of pushes himself to the front of the challenge queue and he just says sanguis extremis fight to the death before anything three strikes boom 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 and erebus is backing up three more boom 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 and erebus tries to attack karn uh not happening nope so all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Erebus is missing a hand. Three more strikes. He's on the ground now. Moments from death. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, yeah, Karn, you you the man. It's mm-hmm. like, it was so cool. And, of course, and this is the MacGuffin moment. He he has his Athane with him, right? And yep. he just uses it to create a convenient warp hole and teleport away before he's killed. Woos. Oh, God, Erebus, you are such a man. Anyway, come on, authors, kill that sucker. Um, The final scene on the That means they can't use him for MacGuffin stuff anymore, though. (laughs) They got plenty of other people. You got to kill him. Nope, nope. Put it all on him, I say. (laughs) (laughs) So the last and final scene, appropriately, is that Karn enters the chamber where Angeron is imprisoned, and there are dozens of dead world bear, world eaters who tried to go in there. They've all been killed. But Karn and Angeron have always had a good relationship, um, even in his weird state. And it's interesting. You talk about the voice. Like in this last scene, his voice kind of has changed now, Angeron's voice. And he basically looks at Karn and says, go into the bowels of the ship, kill 300 thralls from the crew and use their skulls to build me a throne. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, gosh. So overall, what do you think now that we've gone through it? Um, so I thought it was an incredibly well-written book. There were a few places where I feel like less would have been more. So cutting out, the Serene mm-hmm. teleportation off camera death, not death, whatever story would have been good. Sure. Uh, some of the Titan stuff I think could have been trimmed down or maybe just kind of reframed. Um, okay. That being said, in terms of like flipping my opinion from like starting a book 
like my opinion about a legion to the end of it this is probably the most pronounced like i got finished with this book and i was like i want to start a world eaters army <laughs> oh wow wow I, because i i loved that they didn't shy away from Engron being one note but that was the point of the story of like he but he was made this way he didn't have to be this way uh-huh. like the emperor had a much bigger hand in making this monster in particular than uh-huh. a lot of others. And I just found it very thrilling. And like, yeah. you know, I, as much as uh Gilliman didn't take his excuses or his sob story at a certain point, everyone has to wonder like, you know, even Gilliman like, Hey dad, why did you make an unstoppable killing machine? And then like frustrate him. <laughs> yeah. He could have been happy. Garon. Not Angron. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. Happy Gron. Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I felt like it asked a lot of good questions with a lot of perspective to also be like, those don't matter like here though, right? Like Angron's petulant childness doesn't matter when he's killing thousands of people. Sure. But it matters to him. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. How about you? I think your point about the Titan thing, I think that is absolutely true. I think they, they should have stopped after Sarala pulled that loyalist uh, Titan off. They should have just left that story arc go. It's it, it didn't add anything else to the story, really. You know, it was cool when those 30 warhounds attacked the Imperator. That, that was cool, yep. but it wasn't necessary for the rest of So it kind of added, you know, some... I don't know that it was worthwhile for me. It was interesting, but whatever. I think the whole port about Cyrene, I think once she let out that scream and she had been reborn, I think they should have just stopped. Yep. Like you said, I think that was just having her evacuated and that whatever it was, little scene with somebody trying to take her away from the sh- It just, it all kind of broke the cadence. It was, it was a speed bump thing. Mm-hmm. as I said before and it just made it a little more difficult to keep the story going Absolutely. one of the things that this um, pointed out to me and I've said this many times to people is the emperor is just an idiot like he, yes. he just is I like, was on Ingron's side by the end of this book I was like you know, <laughs> here's a guy who who did what he did to Angron you're like did you understand what you were doing there like yeah you couldn't just help him kill the bad guys well, instead of just taking him away and then creating somebody who hated you. You didn't need that. But why do it with the others though? Like that's the, right. that's like, well, well it, it's that inconsistency, yeah. right? And, yep. and you know, even with Lorgar, did you really need to humble him in front of his entire legion? You didn't need to do that. It would have still been okay if you hadn't done that. Or, you know, the whole thing of, you know, no religion, period. No religion. I want all religion killed. And yet he creates a Primarch who looks like an angel. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, think about that. It's oh, that's a perfect symbol of religion. And you create the perfect Primarch who looks like a freaking I, I don't get it. You know, and there's so and this so this brought out to me one more example of how the Emperor just is this imperfect being. Absolutely and perfect, you know, and it just continues this. Every time you read one of these books, you're just like, 
he just keep he just keeps screwing up and everybody's just like, eh, it's okay. It's good. Well, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> Half the galaxy's on fire because of you. Yeah, yeah. and and that's I, I like this story because ultimately it made me feel like I like books that don't make the the traitors just twirly mustache <laughs> one note villains, which to be mm. frank, when you're talking about the world eaters was kind of what I was expecting. <laughs> um but in fact I felt like their motivations got heard. Um, they're interesting. I liked, I liked seeing all the different viewpoints around them as far as like, you know, how Titans have to try and keep up and mm. how the, the space elements have to like deal with a bunch of psychopaths being their defenders. I don't know. I, I thought it was just a really good snapshot of like the Legion as a whole, not just a, a section of warriors like we normally get. One of the things that I, found when I first read this book was I didn't really know much about Karn. And I walked away from this book going, I'm really interested in who he's going to become. Same, same. Like, I actually don't know much about Karn in 40 K. I was like, Oh, this yeah. guy sounds awesome. And I just, it motivates me and I'm hoping it's going to motivate listeners to go out there and read more Karn stories now. Um, and I, I really have enjoyed the few that I have re- uh, read or listened to. Um, most of them are 40 K ones, but it's, he's just a fascinating character, even though he's a traitor and this kind of planted that seed for me. And I love the way that Aaron, um, created that kind of a character. Yeah. And on, on that note, like one of the reoccurring themes that they have is when Erebus is talking about Karn, uh, the psychics around him keep screaming betrayer and, I don't know a lot about Karn's story in 40K, but I know his official model name is Karn the Betrayer. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, that seems very on the nose. But since I don't yep. know enough about it, that sounds awesome. I want to know more now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a very specific battle where that was where the name came from. Yep. You know, and people are hopefully Google that. When did Karn become the Betrayer? Well, here you go. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. That's a really cool part of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. But again, a lot of parts and pieces of the heresy, both at this time and in the future, are planted here, you know, put in here. And and I like books that are like that. They're not just standalone. Um, Yep. Yeah, I think they do it better or worse. Like the Cyrene thing, I think, was a a poor example of combining them. But on the flip side, there are mentions of, what is it, the Furious Abyss and the other things towards the Mm -hmm. beginning of placing it in time are are great examples of that when they nod to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So anything else you want to add here in, uh, in, in closing? I don't think so, buddy. I don't think so. And for our next book, we're going to be tackling the descent of angels. And who's that one by Dan? Um, I can't remember. Look it up right now here. Oh, I have to pull it up. I, (laughs) uh, let's see. That is by Mitchell Scanlon. Okay. Okay. Scanlon. All right. I did not know that. I don't ever heard that name before. Um, and the reason we talked off cam is because, uh, there's been a lot of great releases for the dark angels in 40 K descent of angels should be their kind of their origin ish story. Their, their introduction book. Right. Yeah. And it's nice that after, you know, we talk about this book, people can go and read the updated lore because the Primarch, you know, Lionel Johnson is reintroduced to the universe, to the the, the Warhammer universe mm-hmm. and he, in a different way. The lore is has transformed between this time and that time. And it's always neat to see how lore evolves 
when it when it has to do with a specific legion. So absolutely, yep. And uh, I I'm excited to read this one. I've never read anything by that author, but uh, we'll jump in here. And this is another one. I'm going to throw it up top. I'm not super interested in the Dark Angels, so let's oh, see yeah. if they can if they can change that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Okay, well, friends, thank you so much for listening in. If you have thoughts, questions, comments, go ahead and leave them down below. And you can reach out to me at 2 Plus Tough on YouTube and Cubic Shenanigans, the podcast, uh, over for Dan. And um, let us know what kind of stuff you'd like to hear about next. And uh, until then, my friends, may the Emperor protect. <laughs>